H-N-I-C, repping New York City Live and direct, cause he always come correct When he does an interview, it makes the streets all in him He stimulates the brain, the immobile device And what he smash like the Hulk when he claps you with advice It's all about the news when he drops and beats home So pay close attention, shit's about to explode Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from the Upper West Side, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am Ephraim Guzman, and my guest today, he is the co-host of Woo Nation with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and he is also works for a mortgage company. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the richest man in Huntsville, Alabama, besides Bobby Eaton. <laughs> Mr. Conrad Thompson. Conrad, how you doing? I'm doing great, man, but you shouldn't believe everything that Rick says. He's just working a gimmick for me there. I'm just, uh, I have a modest home on a meager hill here in beautiful Huntsville, Alabama, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast today. Uh, no, nah, not a problem, man. There's only two people I know in Huntsville, Alabama. is beautiful Bobby Eaton and now Conrad Thompson, man. How's everything in Huntsville? Well, here's the deal, man. That's all you need to know in Huntsville. We're the home of the Space and Rocket Center, Redstone Arsenal, and a lot of missiles. And outside of that, it's the top rope leg drop, and hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Um, You've been in um, Huntsville all your life? I have not, but I have been in Alabama my whole life, but I've been in Huntsville since 2001. Yeah, 2001. So I've lived here more than I have anywhere else in my life. So Huntsville's home now, and... I'm having a good time here and have no immediate plans to go anywhere else. Oh, and your mortgage company is the fastest growing mortgage company in the state of Alabama, man. How, how did that come about? Well, I just got recruited into the mortgage business uh, that same year, 2001, and it's worked out. And uh, I own First Family Mortgage, hometown lenders based out of here in Huntsville, Alabama, but we're licensed in, I don't know, more than a dozen states. So... We can probably help you save some money. Just check out 1FMC.com if you're into that. If you're looking to buy or refinance, we can certainly help you out. Uh, but if not, you know, just check out the other part-time gig. Check out Woo Nation on Play.it. I think you can keep up with all things Ric Flair. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Even though I can't, do, yeah, I can't do a woo like Ric Flair, but, you know, I'll leave that for him. Both of us saw the NXT special tonight, the NXT Respect. What's your take on it, Conrad? How did you enjoy the show? I think it was another landmark event for women's championship wrestling. I don't think that there was a lot on the show outside of that. I enjoyed the card very much. It was fun. Uh, I really like that they're starting something new with this Dusty Rhodes uh, tag team tournament. It looks like, based on the bottom of the trophy, that this will be something they agree with this year's winner and then use that trophy every year and just continue to add names to it, kind of like the Stanley Cup or something like that. I think that's very cool. It's kind of reminiscent of the old Crockett Cup that Dusty yeah. innovated in the 80s and made famous. And uh, I think it's, you know, another little ode to the good old days, kind of like the Andre Giant Memorial Battle Royal they're going to start doing. Uh, as a tradition every year at WrestleMania, and I think it's a pretty cool idea, but the main focus, of course, was the main event, and uh, they're trying to make Bailey a star, and I think they did a great job. It was a really nice touch having the whole roster come out onto the stage and present both competitors with a bouquet of flowers and allow Bailey to kind of stay in the ring and soak up all the uh, adulation from the fans. I think it was a nice touch. They really needed to kind of replenish and hit the reset button that this is our star because people have become so ingrained with either Sasha or Charlotte being the centerpiece. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that they give Bailey the rub. And I think it's mission accomplished. I thought they did a great job tonight. Yeah, you know, and you know, that this is like my first time actually watching an Iron Women's match, which I like to say. And it was really, it was, it was awesome. It was an awesome matchup. It was a lot of back and forths, a lot of drama. And there's a lot of things that happened on that match where you normally wouldn't see in a male matchup, you know, which which was very refreshing, you know, it was just, you know, I guess, you know, everything evolves, I remember one of the greatest Iron Man matches I've seen, it was on, I think, WCW Bash at the Beach, where it was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat against Ravishing Recruit, and, you know, I just loved the falls where, you know, I think at that time it was Bill Watts who was running WCW, and then you, if you jumped right. over the top rope, it's a disqualification, like Rick Rude did a knee drop, he got disqualified for that, so he lost the point, that I think he rolled up Ricky Steve and got the pinfall for it, so he made up for it. And those guys were just really going at it. You know, it sort of it sort of reminded me of that. Not the way the the wrestling style was, but the the selling part of it and just the total intensity and the whole fan participation in the match was really good. Um, what like what did you get from that matchup? 
Did you see that crazy bump that Sasha took? Like, she landed kind of awkwardly? Yeah, you know, a buddy and I were watching that, and we weren't really sure what happened there. You know, you would think that, uh, I hope Bailey doesn't get any heat for that. You know, I don't know enough about wrestling to know this for sure, but it seems like Sasha, that onus would have been on her to go ahead and turn all the way and complete the flip. But things happen with all that adrenaline, you know, and oil and sweat and everything else and slippery costumes and a new canvas and you know new ropes and so lots of stuff can happen but uh it seemed like she finished the match just fine so i'm sure she's going to be a little sore but i don't think we have any sort of serious injury to worry with because that was early in the match she powered through the refs like a champ yeah definitely and um what about um the finn baylor and samoa joe as the tag team you know as the tag team that winning the how did you like the whole presentation with cody and and um dustin how what you thought about that? Uh, I, think, I think that was the best thing on the show, yeah. uh, just personally, uh, because uh, I grew up a giant Dusty Rhodes fan, and I'm sure most everyone listening to this did. And if you have that much respect for the old school, which obviously I do, hosting a podcast with Rick, you really appreciate that. I thought it was a really cool touch, having all the kids in there, having Dusty's wife in there. Um, Cody's wife climbing in there. It was a really cool deal, uh, and I'm glad that. Even though they're not a traditional tag team, if they're really going to go with the idea of engraving the names of the competitors on the trophy and making it something that you start a long lineage with, you couldn't really pick two guys better. Because Samojo's been at the top of his game for 10-plus years. Ben Baylor's been at the top of his game for 5-plus years. They're going to be big names in the industry, you know, then, now, and forever. So it'll be cool to have their names on that trophy for years to come. So I think they did the, the right thing by putting those guys in the position they did tonight. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing, but the only thing I kind of missed about it, but, you know, I guess it, it, you know, there's not really a full tag team nowadays, but it would have been cool, like, if a legit tag team actually won it instead of, like, a makeshift tag team, but, I, I you know, I guess I could understand the reasoning because there's not, like, a lot of tag teams out there, but, you know, both of them together, you know, they wrestled a couple of tag team matches and they wrestled pretty well, but, you know, I'm, like, kind of the old school where, you know, even though, like, Dusty Rose and Nikita Koloff were really, like, a, a, you know, tag team per se, like, they always wrestled exclusively together, but, you know, I'm like, you know, like, the old school, like, Fantastics, Rock and Roll Express, like, people who, if you normally would see them wrestle in a singles match, you wouldn't, you would say, hey, where's their partner at? Like, you know, you normally wouldn't see them wrestle in a singles match. What do you think about that, like, with the whole tag team? I, know, I totally agree with, with your sentiment of wanting to be old school, but when you look back at yeah, if they're really trying to mirror the Crockett Cup, you know, they did that three times that I know of, and I think it went something like Road Warriors one year, yeah. Superpowers the next year, which is as you referred to Nikita and Dusty, yeah. and then Lex Luger and Sting the third year. So you had only one traditional tag team that won it, and they wound up being the Road Warriors. So when you look back and you see the list of guys who won the Crockett Cup, you know, it was Nikita, it was Dusty, it was Sting, it was Luger, 
Road Warriors. Those guys are legends in the sport. So them being victorious still hands up, still holds up almost 30 years later as those were kind of titans of the industry. Yeah. And I don't think that there was a, an NXT traditional tag team, whether it was you know the, the, the Gable Kid or the Dawson Kid or any of those yeah. traditional style tag teams, or for that matter, Rhino and Corbin. There's no guarantee that those guys are going to be names in the industry five years from now. There is a guarantee that Samoa Joe is going to leave a wrestling legacy. There is a guarantee that Finn Balor, whether it's Ask Finn Balor or Fergal Devitt, is going to leave a wrestling legacy. Those will be names that you can look back in hindsight and say, hey, those are big-time names, and it's pretty cool that they're the first ones on the trophy. So from that standpoint, it makes sense. But traditionally, I'm with you. I'd like to see a Rock and Roll Express-type tag team, but we didn't have any sort of anybody in NXT that you could tap on the shoulder and say, hey, you fit the Rock and Roll Express build, we're going to put you over in this thing. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I guess, you know, I'm too much old school, because I've missed, like, tag teams that were really a tag team, you know, but, you know, I, I understand, you know, you you know, there's, you know, everything is like, it's, it, you know, it's a singles run, you know, there, there's tag team wrestlers, but they're just, like, more like a filler spot to, you know, to soften up for the main event, you know, but hopefully, yeah, tag, yeah hopefully it'll improve later on in time, hopefully. Well, I think the New Day is doing a big, you know, is doing a lot to change some of that. Yeah. You know, they've kind of come out of nowhere, seemingly, and gotten a lot of support. And it seems like they're trying to transition them from being just a comedy act to being, you know, a legitimate threat. So uh, maybe they'll start paying a little more attention to the tag team, you know, division. I hope so. I think uh, growing up in the South, of course, tag team wrestling was always a big deal down here. Yeah. And uh, it would be cool to see it be a big deal on a big stage again. Yeah, it's kind of cool also having the um um the Dudley Boys back, especially you know you got the prime time players. It gives more credibility having the Dudley Boys there because they've been teaming up for years. And you know, you know TNA when they had the Dudley Boys, you know they had them as a tag team that separated them because there was no other tag teams for the Dudley Boys to fight. It's like almost they break they break up every tag team and they do that in the WWE too, just so they could you know create you know different feuds and you know different matches you know and like, switch them up. But you know I think they need to go back to the old school and just have guys just stick together and not get, you know, not feud with each other or, you know, they get, like, the star of their team, like, you know, like a Shawn Michaels, you know, who was, like, the star of the Rockers and then, you know, they break them up or, like, the same thing they did with the Powers of Pain. They made the the you know, the Warlord and the Barbarian, like, you know, totally different entities, you know. They, I think they have to just go back to that, but that's just my, you know, rant. No, I totally agree. You know, I understand, you know, maybe... Uh, why they moved away from tag team wrestling, and it's just because, you know, from a television standpoint, they're really trying to produce quick matches. Yeah. And so just logistically and financially, you've got, you know, four guys to pay for travel and four guys to pay for accommodations and four guys to, you know, get gear for and to coordinate with and then to actually pay uh, to really do what two guys are doing pretty effectively. Back in the day, in the South, you know, you would do tag team matches because you could have longer matches and you could stretch it out. So, you know, if your regular matches were ten matches, well, you could get 20 or 25 or 30 out of a tag match because the guys could take a little break and rest. And it would allow them opportunities to work multiple times on a night, whether they were a hooter or not. Um, so you can really kind of stretch it out. Well, now that you've got a roster just chock full and you want to, you know, highlight and feature as many guys as you can, so in an effort to do that, and advance the storylines with all these skits and promos and commercial time, you try to cram as much as you can in and invariably that results in, uh, or inevitably rather, that results in shorter match time. So when that happens, you start kind of scratching tag matches because it's silly to have four guys out there for two minutes uh, when they really need, you know, 12 to tell a good story. So I understand that the attention span in America has started to dwindle, and as that happens, you got a rapid fire, but how long, like you, for the good old days of the old school tag team matches? Yeah, well, thank God for YouTube and, uh, I guess, DVDs and old videotapes because you definitely could watch that again, you know, like, especially, like, the old school war games, like, you know, stuff like that we won't see again, but thank God for YouTube because you definitely could see it again. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Conrad, um, how did you, you know, um, how did you became, like, you know, you just you started watching wrestling when you was a kid? Like, how did you become a fan? Yeah, I guess uh, my first wrestling memory is WrestleMania 4, which was when 
during the tournament that ultimately Macho Man won, and I remember seeing that uh, on VHS, and I had seen, uh, you know, a little match here or there, maybe like a Superstars or a Challenge or whatever it was called, where they did, you know, just chopper squash matches. But I remember renting that video of WrestleMania 4 and just wearing it out and becoming full-blown uh, love affair with wrestling after that. So it was Saturday appointment television for me uh, in the morning, and then of course at night for Saturday night's main event when that was on. Uh, and that that uh, you know interests me to go ahead and find other uh, wrestling opportunities, and that's when I found the NWA on TBS. So then I just had the bug real big. Uh, my dad and, uh, and our family would order all the WWF pay-per-views and the guy he worked with would order all the NWA pay-per-views and we would tape the shows and then he would swap the tapes at work the next day. So we got to keep up with everything. Uh, and then of course, like most wrestling fans, I kind of wandered out and got out of it in maybe 93 mm -hmm. and Got back in uh, in 96 and was a pretty big fan until about 2004 or 5. And then I got back out and then somehow, oh, it was the CM Punk promo in 2012, 2011. Uh, that got me back in a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, one thing leads to another and I've become acquainted with Ric Flair. And now I'm a full-blown fan again and I watch all the time. You say you became acquainted with Ric Flair. Um, how did you you guys meet? How did Conrad Thompson, the richest man in Alabama, meet the Nature Boy? Oh Ric Flair? <laughs> well, he was actually, you know, he's, he's still busier than, than a one-hour paper hanger, as an old expression goes. Uh, just this week, you know, he, he had a gig in Atlanta on Friday night. Then he had a gig in um, Canada on, no, uh, in New York on Saturday. Mm -hmm. I did a gig in Canada on Sunday. Mm -hmm. He was back in New York on Monday for another event. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Tuesday, yesterday, today, he's in Vegas mm -hmm. for another event. And then he's going to come back to Atlanta tomorrow. And he'll be in uh, West Virginia on Saturday. So he's still just all over the place. So I actually met him at an appearance a few years ago. And we just hit it off and traded phone numbers. And uh, found out we had a lot in common and just became buds, so we traded phone numbers. And uh, I watched a football game at his place, and he watched a football game at my place. And before you know it, we were hanging out and talking about wrestling. And he's meeting my family, and I'm meeting his family. And now we're just kind of tied to the hip. And so when he got an offer to do the podcast, he had a couple offers, as you might imagine. And, and then he just sorted through those, figured out which one made the most sense. Mm -hmm. uh, he felt like he needed somebody to bounce stuff off of, and I do a little bit of radio advertising uh, for my mortgage company, so he knew that I had a little bit of a background and, and was not scared to talk on a microphone and knew enough about wrestling, and that wouldn't make him look bad. You know, I'm not going to let something come off really, really poorly that shows him in a very bad light, so um, he asked me to, if I wouldn't mind sitting in and doing it one episode with him, and we did one, and CBS heard it and liked it, so we decided to make it a thing, and I'm still doing it with him, so it's a lot of fun, and it's worked out, and you can check it out, we've got a lot of big-name guests, and they're archived for your listening pleasure on iTunes or at play.it. Yeah. I know um, I, I know that podcast one was like the, the, the big brand and then all of a sudden play it just I don't know it, to me I think it just came out of nowhere because you know it started I think I don't know which who which wrestler started first but I think Taz had it there then Booker T then it went to Ric Flair like um, was play it always around or did it, it like it was always around that that website well, or what? Yeah, it actually owned by CBS Radio and CBS Radio obviously CBS is just a huge multimedia conglomerate they own stuff that you don't even know they own me either but yeah. you know, they do radio stations they do television stations they do lots of digital meaning you know web stuff you know websites and stuff they do billboards uh, I mean so they're, they're, they've got their finger in everything and I think they decided you know they wanted to ease over into podcasting a few years ago mm -hmm. But they didn't necessarily jump off the wrestling bandwagon. Um, Podcast One was kind of the first to the market with wrestling, with first Austin and, and then Jericho and then Jim Ross. And so once you know they started to see some of those successes, they worked a deal out with Taz and then 
Rich. Uh, and I think since then they've, they've got Mike today. Uh, I don't think he's doing a wrestling topic necessarily, but he is a wrestling personality. Yeah. And uh, they have Mike today on play.it as well. But it's still uh, very much a, a new income stream and new venture for, for CBS compared to you know radio and television and all that stuff. But it is backed by CBS Radio, which is obviously a pretty damn big deal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, though, because I'm saying there's other podcasts there besides wrestling, you know, but, you know, I, I, I didn't like the, the whole, I didn't, you know, I didn't know about the whole CBS radio thing, owning Play It. You know, Play It.net, that's what it is, right? Play It.net? It's Play.net. Play It.net. A lot of people, that's right, they, they bought .it because yeah. they wanted you to just say Play It, but. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of folks want to put it like a .com or a .net, but it really is just IT. It's play.it, mm. uh, and they want you to, you know, say it's play.it. But their biggest sports you know, program that they have is probably Deadcast, uh, but the biggest wrestling one, of course, well, Sweet Nation. That's all you really need to know. Yeah. So you said Ric Flair had other offers from, I guess, what, Podcast One and probably other places out there? Like, um... <laughs> Here's the deal, man. I'll be honest, I'm not his agent, so I didn't look through everything, but uh, I'm sure that he had more than one offer. I don't know what the specifics of any of the offers were, but I do know in the end, CBS Radio being involved, carrying a lot of clout with both Rick and his agent. Ah, okay, okay, sweet. And, um, you know, you have a... Uh, uh, a plethora of guests that you had on the show so far, and you know this upcoming you had Hulk Hogan. Um, um, I, I don't know. I think Hulk Hogan, you definitely could have went to a two-parter. Um, how did you enjoy that conversation? Oh, I had a great time with it. I grew up, you know, as I said on WWF first, so I grew up a little Hulkamaniac, and then yeah. once I started to kind of maybe think I'm a little over this now, because at the time they very much had superhero cartoon style storylines and characters. I fell in love with the Ric Flair character and the realism that that program brought, so I kind of switched gears a little bit, but it was a, a wrestling fan's dream to be able to talk to Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair at the same time. Uh, I've actually met Hogan a few times through Rick, and, and we've had you know a nice conversation and been polite to each other, but this was different in that we really got to sit down and talk wrestling for an hour, and there's a record of it, so I'll actually be able to listen to this you know, myself in the future, and that's still pretty cool. But I agree with what you're saying, that it could have very much been a two-parter, but you have to appreciate, too, we're in a unique situation right now with Hulk Hogan in regards to wrestling. So I understand that, or I understood going in, I'm just appreciative and grateful that we had the opportunity to talk to him for an hour, much less trying to stretch it to two. Uh, you know, off the year, you know, in a private conversation later, he said he'd love to do it again any time. So I'm sure we can have him back at another time, but given the nature of kind of where we are with the regard to wrestling and Hulk Hogan right now, I think just having the opportunity to talk to him for an hour was more than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, um, it was a great interview, by the way. I, I heard it, and, you know, it was just it was just like the stories. It's just amazing. Like, the whole show could just be about stories because I'm sure there's plenty of stories from both guys that they could just keep going the whole time instead of having, like, a structured interview, you know, you know, a structured interview um, format to go by. Just the stories alone was just hilarious. Well, let me, let me tell you, there has been maybe one exception ever where, where I've been able to actually have some structure. For the most part, though, man, when you're doing something with Ric Flair, there's no structure. Uh, as he says, we're just going to call it in the ring, brother. Yeah. So uh, we're just kind of all over the place, and it's my job to kind of get us back on track and, you know, point us in the right direction again. And sometimes that can be challenging. Uh, just because Rick has a lot, I mean, he has a lot of stories. You have to appreciate that the guy's been on the road for 45 years. So 45 years worth of travel and, and you know, the interest in our industry of professional wrestling, you know, that we're such big fans of, we can pick his brain about any different decade, you know, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s now. Um, so that, that part is a little bit challenging to have a structured interview. He allowed me to do that a little more than normal on Eric Bischoff. We were able to go kind of chronologically. Yeah. And I think the Eric Bischoff series that we did, which was a two-parter, and the only two-parter we've ever done, is probably the best 
interview that Eric Bischoff's ever done, um, just because we were able to ask questions that normally you couldn't ask, or you shouldn't ask, or you wouldn't ask, but because of their real-life relationship, I felt comfortable in asking them, and to his credit, Eric Bischoff didn't dodge one of them, and he answered them all and took them head on, and was very honest and candid, and I think the Eric Bischoff series that we did is the best that he's ever done or that we've ever done. Yeah. I know it's always better when you have an interview with somebody where the person has a relationship with the guy, you know, Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff's relationship goes way back. So it makes it more for a fun interview as opposed, you know, he had an interview with JBL on the network. It's totally different interviews and totally different questions the way it is asked, but you could tell the comfort level. It, well, it comes out through the audio when he was talking with Ric Flair, you know, it was almost like a, like a trust, like, you know, you know, you can ask me whatever you want. I'm definitely going to answer it. But if it was Joe Schmo interviewing Eric Bischoff, you know, he's like, all right, wait a minute, you know, you can't ask me this, you know, it's it's kind of different. So, like, the flow was really, it was really going really good. It was like osmosis when the, both the guys were talking. Well, I appreciate that. You know, there's two things that really play into that. One is, you know, I don't mind, you know, just sharing this publicly. We tell everybody before we get going, hey, this isn't live, this is taped. Mm -hmm. So we've got some questions lined up, and if we ask a question and you don't really want to answer it or you don't like it, we'll go back and clip it out, and it'll be like we never asked it. So we don't want to have you in a bad light. We don't want to burn any bridges. We're not trying to be controversial. But we'd like to be interesting, but we don't have to hurt anybody's feelings or burn any bridges in order to do that. So we kind of lay that out there to them as soon as we get on the phone with our guests before we ever actually fire any questions away. So that makes me feel comfortable enough to ask anything we might want. So that's part one. Part two is we all, anytime I ask a hard question like that, I never say it as a fact. So I'll say things like, uh, so hey, the talk online is, or the internet believe is, the internet's belief is, yeah. Or the rumor is, or it's <laughs> yeah. been said that. So I never say, hey, why'd you do so-and-so? See, that comes off accusatory. Yeah. Whereas if I put that little, you know, kind of preamble in there and say, well, hey, uh, the Internet says, now it's not something that he takes as an accusation for me or finger-pointing for me, so to speak. And so that's not what we want. We don't want this to be confrontational, but we would like to ask some hard-hitting questions. Uh, because we know that's what the fans want to hear. But at the same time, we don't want to burn a bridge or make them uncomfortable. So if they want to dodge it, they can. And I feel the need, since, we, since I did say that, we let everybody have that opportunity to say, hey, I want to put that. We've never had anyone take us up on it. So you'll actually hear us remind people of that on tape, and it's on several podcasts, where we say, hey, if you don't want to answer that, you don't have to. But they always answer it. Nobody has said, hey, I don't want to answer that, or called after the fact and said, I changed my mind. I don't really like my answer on this. Can you edit that out? No one has said that. So it's went well, and we've had a lot of guests that a lot of folks didn't assume even got along well with Rick, but everybody gets along with Rick these days. Yeah, you know, especially into podcasting, you know, I'm in podcasting myself and you're in it as well. Um, do you feel like, um, you know, like, you know, you know some of these guys that are, like, you know, I guess through Rick, that you know some of these guys that are on the show, I guess, you know, Hogan, like you said, you met him a few times. Um, I'm not sure how you and Bischoff's relationship was and everything. Um, do you feel this is also, like, a good, you know, medium for you, like, to, you know, it's almost like, you know, you, you know, almost like so, you know, like your childhood, like you're exploring your childhood almost, like, you know, talking to wrestlers from different eras and stuff, like, you know, is it really cool? Like, you have fun with it? Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a very cool experience, you know, I, I, it's probably cooler when I, you know, I've had the opportunity to tag along with Rick to a lot of different events, yeah. whether they were WWE events or just, you know, reunions or gatherings or fan fests, whatever they are, and uh, now I've been able to meet a lot of the guys or hang out with them socially, and that has been a real treat um, and I've met a lot of guys that way but the opportunity to sit down and really pick their brain and ask questions about wrestling and have an intelligent conversation about wrestling that's definitely been a highlight and, and it's an avenue that the podcast has given me that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. How, how has um, wrestling changed your life? Um, what's so special about the sport to you? You know it's really hard for me to say that it's necessarily changed my life. It's it's certainly something else that I've 
found interesting off here before we started taping today. You asked if I was into Star Wars or Star Trek or anything like that, and I'm really not. You know, I'm obviously being from Alabama, I'm really into football, both yeah. college and professional. Um, you know, and, and I keep up with some other sports, but down here, we're a football state, so I keep up with that very heavy. And outside of that, it's pretty much boxing, UFC, and MMA. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, boxing, UFC, and professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those deals where it's, it's what you grew up on. And so my golden age and golden era is what I grew up on. I don't appreciate the stuff now as much as I did when I was younger. But, you know, I've got an 11-year-old, and she's hardcore into today's products. And that's the reason I watched this NXT special with the Iron Man match with the ladies tonight, because this is her golden age. And it's fun to have that to share with someone. And I have a certain group of friends that now maybe are a little scattered, you know, friends in North Carolina and friends in South Carolina and friends in Tennessee and then some friends right here in Huntsville who I grew up being wrestling fans with or have that really as the only common interest, even if I met them later in life. You know, through wrestling, I've got, you know, friends in New York now and I've got friends in Boston now. I didn't have those friends and wouldn't have those friends outside of wrestling. That's really the only thing we have in common. So the highlight for me and the part of, you know, my life that has been affected by wrestling is just those personal relationships that I've made, not necessarily, you know, with wrestlers, obviously Rick Flair was standing, but I mean with my real-life friends that really made through wrestling. Wow. Um, do you feel like um, the wrestlers you made, you know, friends that you made in wrestling, it's, is, you know, is it a whole lot more than, like, your regular circle of friends? Like, you know, you met a lot, you met a lot more people now? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a lot more because, you know, being in business, I've managed to work with a lot of folks and befriend a lot of folks that way. But in my real life, I don't have any friends that I talk about wrestling with, if that makes sense. So the people I work okay. with or the people I watch football with, those are, that's a totally different group than my wrestling friends. You know, my wrestling fans are guys like Dick Bourne, who runs the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, yeah. or guys like Mike Niccolo, who has worked on belts for WWE, or guys like Dave Milliken, who makes the belts for WWE. I wouldn't have those friends and relationships if it weren't for professional wrestling, because I don't talk to those guys about anything other than wrestling. Uh, Brian Rogers is a great friend of mine in South Carolina, and he is like a human encyclopedia for all things profit <laughs> promotions. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have ever met Brian if it weren't for wrestling. professional wrestling. And now, you know, we go to WrestleMania every year. We've been to SummerSlam together. And, but I didn't have those friends and wouldn't have those friends if it weren't for wrestling. And that's the, my favorite part of wrestling is those friendships. Do you have any funny stories with you and Ric Flair? you got to have some good, juicy stories. The juicier, the better. Well, I appreciate you asking, but that's probably not something I think you here. Uh, but there's lots of fun stories with Rick um, of us getting reprimanded in public or us creating a scene in public. But that's probably something that, since they really involve him more than me, he should share rather than me. But I will say this. There's never a dull moment with Ric Flair. And the Nature Boy is not a gimmick, it is a lifestyle, and he's still living it at 66. So, the stuff he used to go on TV and talk about doing, with maybe one exception, he's still doing every single day of his life. Uh, right now, somewhere in Las Vegas, it is 8.04, and he is roaring, because that's what Ric Flair does. Anything you could say about any upcoming guests you have on the show lined up, like in the near future? Well, it's funny you say that, because this is my, that's my most requested question that I get through email or text message or <laughs> uh, Twitter. But Ric Flair really does, you know, call it in the ring, brother, as he says. Yeah. Uh, we lined up Hulk Hogan on Sunday, and we did the interview on Monday. It was that fast, and um, normally we don't know until the day before that we're going to do it. Now, we do have some folks who have agreed to be on. Earl Hebner has agreed to be on. Kevin Nash has agreed to be on. Kevin Von Erich has agreed to be on. Wow. Sting has agreed to be on. Pat Patterson has agreed to be on. I mean, we've got a list of guys who have agreed to be on. It's just a matter now of making the timing work. And so, 
Uh, you know, we get a lot of requests for different guests, and I'd like to do them all. Uh, Tommy Young is another great one that we get requested all the time. He's agreed to be on. We get lots of guys who would who, who are agreeable to come on, but we only have one per week. And so, as much as I'd like to crank out five a week, you know, that's our deal with CBS. Our deal is one a week. So we're doing one a week, and that means you have to be kind of selective. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of been on a little bit of a WCW push lately with uh, Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo and now Paul Hogan. So we may switch that up a little bit and move out of WCW and move into, um, you know, our Kevin Von Erich. Or we might go back into WCW and talk a little Kevin Nash. But I won't know until the day before because it really just kind of depends on what mood Rick's in. Wow, that's really dead. Yeah, so it's really on the fly then. Wow, that's 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 crazy. That's good though. It's good. It keeps you on your toes. You know? it, it is as um, last minute and spontaneous as you can possibly get, for sure. Wow, that's that's amazing, Conrad. That's amazing. Um, is is there any particular, um, I guess, wrestler would you like to have on Wu Nation? Well, the goal for me, you know, forever was I really wanted to have an opportunity to get. Um, Dusty Rhodes on, who had agreed and then unfortunately passed away. But when we first started, uh, my list included Dusty Rhodes and Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin and Eric Bischoff and Bret Hart and um, uh, one of the Crockett's, whether it was David or Jim. I didn't realize that Rick was still on speaking terms with Jim. But he, I, I also didn't realize that he was tight with David. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully, we've been able to knock out everybody on that list now, with the exception of Dusty. So we've kind of covered everybody that I really, really wanted to cover. But I am still looking forward to conversations with guys like Shawn Michaels or Dave Batista or Sting. I mean, all of those. Or I'm sure one day we'll have Goldberg. All of those, I'm, I'm sure, will be a blast. But on my short list, we've kind of accomplished all of that. And some of those I wanted to get, just because I knew people would assume that there was a lot of heat there, whether it was with Russo or it was with Foley or it was with Bret Hart. I know a lot of people just assumed that people had personal issues, and that's not necessarily the case with Rick anymore. He doesn't have personal issues like that I guess people assume because of what was, like, written in books and stuff like that. So, you know, and then, you know, stuff. You know, so a lot of people get confused with, like, storylines and shoot work promos and everything like that. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's, 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 it's a weird the, business. The thing that's weird yeah. there, and let me just tell you, because I get that on Twitter all the time, when people say, well, in his book he said, oh, and so-and-so's wrong about this, because on Nitro he said, man, Nitro's been off the year for 14 years. It's over. I don't remember everything that happened in my life 14 years ago. And a lot of wrestling fans, you know, go back and kind of discover these books and take to the WWE Network, these old shows, and they rewatch it and relive it, and it's fresh on their mind. But, you know, something that happened all that time ago, a lot of these guys just don't remember because it wasn't as important to them. On some level, it's their job. So if you were to ask me, hey, back in November of 2001, you closed the Gilliam loan, uh, what type of loan did they get? What was the interest rate? And I may take a stab at it, but if I get it wrong, it's not fair that you get to bust my balls that I got it wrong. <laughs> it was 14 years ago at work, and I kind of don't remember because it was just another day at work. And I think sometimes as fans, we try to treat this as if it's not work for them, that it's something bigger. And it is something bigger to us, but it's not to them. It's how they get paid. It's how they pay their utility bill. It's a totally different deal. Uh, and I think some of these guys get a bad rap about that. And also, too, they forget why they were even really mad at each other. But more importantly, with Rick, uh, real-life events happen and real-life tragedy happens in your personal life. And then all of a sudden, you have an pissing contest about who had a better wrestling match with Bret Hart isn't nearly as important anymore. Yeah. And it puts that in perspective and makes you realize life is precious, life's too short to walk around pissed off. I'm just going to go ahead and wash my hands of all that negativity and appreciate today for today. And that's where Ric Flair is now. And no matter how many of his old enemies we get on the air, some people just don't get that. And they assume that, I mean, a guy tweeted me today, I can't believe Hogan is uh, talking to Rick. I thought they had hate. So-and-so's book said so on page such-and-such. Oh, yeah. Neither one of those guys even remember what they were mad about at this point. It's 
been so long ago, so many divorces ago, so many tragedies with children ago. Yeah. It's not important that somebody was upset they had to lose a match by a leg drop in Detroit. No one cares. Yeah. I don't know. In a way, right now, you just put everything in perspective because, you know, it's a job and they just did their job. But, you know, as people from the outside looking in, it's just, like, fascinating. Like, oh, my God, they had a feud with each other and this, this, and that. And, you know, you know, Hogan. Yeah, and, and, and we, we make it a big deal. You know, last year, or maybe it was year before last, Rick was at my house here in Huntsville and uh, I said, hey, uh, which of your three matches with Steamboat were your favorite? I don't know. I said, no, I'm sure that you have a favorite. And I said, no, you know, there was one in Chicago, and there was one in New Orleans, and there was one in Nashville. Which one do you like the best? He said, I don't know. I said, no, I mean, when you watch them, and he looked me straight in the face and said, I've never watched them. Yeah. He's never watched the matches that we as wrestling fans think are the gold standard. These are the greatest three matches of all time. You know, just pick one and it's the greatest. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of been the, the statement since 1989, that these are the gold standard. These are the five stars. These are the best of the best. Yeah. He had never watched them. So I said, well, bullshit, we're going to sit down and watch one right now. <laughs> so we fired it down and watched it, and that was the very first time he had seen it. I don't know, 24, 25 years later. Wow. Uh, because it was just a job to him. It was just, hey, I'm wrestling my buddy again, which happened to be in Chicago. It was just another night, just another uh, paycheck, just another day on the job. Yeah. But I think I, I, I kind of remember him saying that he had great matches with Steamboat that wasn't even recorded. Was it on house shows, too, right? I think he said he had great matches with Steamboat on house shows or something like that. You know, specifically, they're talking about in the 70s yeah. when Steamboat first came to, Mid to the Mid-Atlantic area. They were so many matches together that they feel like they really, both, both Steamboat and Flair say their best matches were then. And you, you would have been talking the late 70s as compared to the late 80s. So, you know, by, by 89, Flair was 40 or almost 40. I, I forget, but he was roughly 40. He's 39 or 40. Uh, so if you back it up 10 years, that makes sense. Yeah. That the 29-year-old version of Flair may have been in better condition, uh, may have had less injuries, may have had a little more pep in his step, maybe not as much ring psychology just because he hadn't had as much ring time, but certainly... Uh, a better physical version of himself than what was there in 89. Uh, and he thinks he had his best matches then, and unfortunately a lot of those matches either weren't taped or were taped, but then ultimately taped over. Because back in the day they didn't view, they, didn't, they couldn't foresee what those tapes would be worth. And I know there's some footage that's been leaked out there over the last few years, but there's still not just a plethora of old Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair matches, and so Yeah, yeah, you know that's the one you know everybody was exposed to, especially on watching it on the Superstation WCBS. You know, so, you know I think that was what the two out of three falls match, right? The one from the Clash of the Champions, I believe. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. had one that was uh, two out of three falls, and it was in New Orleans. Yeah, and they programmed it against a WWF pay per view at the time. Uh, I, I forget which one. Maybe it was WrestleMania. Maybe it was Survivor Series, but. They ran the, the Superdome, and what's weird is, for me as a fan, because I was a kid at the time, and I was more of a WBS kid at the time, but I still love that match, and still do today. I think it's fantastic, and if you haven't watched it, you should do yourself a favor. It's on the WB Network, and you should check it out. But two things stick out. Is they, uh, they had his name spelled wrong in Fireworks when he came out. They had Cairo yeah. uh, that said R-I-C-K Flair. Yeah. And the second thing is, if you look at how the how the ring is lit, you'll see that they're not turning on any arena lights. So if you go just look up what the attendance was, they're in this giant dome in New Orleans, and they have like 4,000 people or something like that there. So it, even though it was what we consider one of the greatest matches of all time, it didn't necessarily draw all that great. And you can you know, blame that on a variety of different reasons, I'm sure. But either way, it was an afternoon show with Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. It's in a dome, and it drew, like, 4,000 people. It's not what we want to remember that match for, but it is part of the story. Oh, okay. Um, Conrad, I'm going to give you some hard-hitting questions. Are you ready for them? <laughs> Let's do it. All right, what, are, what is your favorite food? Um, uh, favorite food? 
what's my favorite food? <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. All right, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Also, um, what is your favorite music band? Uh, my favorite. Yeah, I, I, I like the old school stuff. So, um, if I'm if I'm listening here at the house and I'm just like on a Pandora channel, I'll probably listen to like the Led Zeppelin channel. Oh, the classics. All right, all right. And what is your favorite clothes to wear? Any particular clothing brand or regular Target or, you know, any particular brand? Uh, I wear, uh, wear Ferragamo shoes almost exclusively. They are the most comfortable shoe of all time, specifically the driving loafer. Uh, I have every color variation there is, so whether it's suede or leather or whatever. A Ferragamo loafer is like the most comfortable shoe ever made, so... That's my that's my go-to clothing for sure. All right, and what beautiful car does Conrad Thompson drive? <laughs> well, I mean, I have a BMW, but Ooh. whatever, it's a car. It gets me from point A to point B. What year is your BMW? It's a BMW 760 Li. It's the big sedan, the 12-cylinder joint. Ah, nice, nice, man. Conrad is styling and profiling and kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine driving. Woo. There you go, yeah. You gotta do all that stuff if you're riding with the next boy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Conrad, um, did you ever want to be a wrestler when you was a kid as well, or no? Yeah, I think every little kid, yeah. you know, play wrestles in the den and takes the couch cushions off the couch and, you know, jump, pretend they're running the ropes on the den rug and <laughs> jumps off the fireplace. Yeah, I did all that stuff, but I never, you know, said, I want to be a wrestler when I grow up, but... I certainly enjoyed being a wrestler as a kid with my friends. Yeah. And um, we talked about tag teams before, but um, do you have a particular, like, I guess your top three favorite tag teams? Uh, Midnight Express. Yeah. With, uh, and, and, and this is not the common answer, but I like the Stan Lane version. I like Bobby and Stan Lane with Jim Cornette. I think Cornette made that phenomenal. Uh, I love the Steiner Brothers. Uh, I still like them to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one I would probably put as the Rock and Roll Express, which I enjoyed, but I never really loved them uh, until I got older and actually met them in real life. But had I not met them, I had such a great time with them and consider them friends now, the answer would probably be the Dudley Boys, just because when they were in ECW, they were some hell of entertainers that could main event any night. Yeah. Um. Do you have any honorable mentions? Were you a fan of the uh, the Fantastics, the Sheep Herders, or any other teams? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think everybody liked the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. From a a traditional, you know, tag team standpoint, uh, you know, what we're talking about with matching gimmicks and stuff like that, they may not qualify, but probably one of the very best tag teams of all time that ought to be in every Hall of Fame. Is Tully Blanchard, Darn Anderson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they were the, the brainbusters in WWF, but I think their best stuff was when they were with uh, Crockett. So, yeah, I mean, those guys are probably, that probably rounds out my list. I think there's like six tag teams there that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Conrad, is there any movies you're looking forward to by the end of this year? Any movies in particular that's coming out that you're interested in seeing? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head uh, what's coming out or, or what I'm really looking forward to, but I do know that. The Wadi Bulger movie that just came out, I was for Black Mass with Johnny Depp. I was counting the dates for that one, saw it the day it came out. I saw Straight Outta Compton the day it came out. I was really jacked about both of those. Yeah. I enjoyed both movies quite a bit, but I don't know if there's anything off the top of my head right now that I'm counting the days down for. Uh, there may be, but it's just not spring to my mind. Do you have something on your list? Well, Star Wars, definitely by December. I'm definitely looking forward oh, to sure. that. Yeah, Star Wars. And um, next year on Captain America Civil War, which is another a Marvel movie. Definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the Star Wars. I, I, I'm not a super hardcore Star Wars fan, but I've seen them all, and I'll see this one too. Um, I can't remember the name of that movie, but there is there is a... Uh, like a mob-type movie that's coming out soon. Uh, the name escapes me, but uh, I look forward to that one. They, I have seen a couple of premises for it lately, but I don't think it comes out for another week or two. Oh, okay. And, um, Conrad, my final question to you, which is probably my coup de grace question of the evening, what would the Conrad, <laughs> what would the Conrad Thompson of today, the richest man alive, say to the Conrad Thompson of yesterday? Uh... 
<laughs> I don't know, man. It does not suck to be me. You know, my uh, my business life's pretty good. My personal life's pretty great. Uh, there's a kid in front of me wanting me to say that Kansas is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, my big hobby, my big thing I grew up being a fan of, I get to talk about with, with the kid, the guy I grew up loving. So being friends with Rick Flair and getting to do the podcast, coupled with every kind of sprinkled on top of everything else, doesn't necessarily suck to be me. So I guess I would go back and I would say, hey, enjoy this. This can't all last this way forever. Something eventually has to give. But right now, it sure is a lot of fun. Uh, amazing, amazing answer, Conrad. And Conrad, um, plug your social media, plug the podcast where people can hear it. Yeah, absolutely. You can hear the podcast anytime on iTunes. Uh, if you have iTunes, just go ahead and type in Woo. That's Woo with five O's, and it'll pop up Woo Nation with Rick Flair. Or you can go straight to play.it. So it's just www.play.it, and you'll see Rick Flair right there. You can search for Flair or search for Woo, and it'll pop right up. Uh, all the episodes are great, but if you want to start with one that's hilarious, I recommend the Terry Funk one. If you want one that's serious and really a traditional podcast-style interview, Eric Bischoff's pretty cool. Uh, but our latest and greatest is Hulk Hogan, and really his first long-form interview since the whole controversy. Uh, and that's all right now on Play.it. You can follow me on Twitter, at HeyHeyIt'sConrad. Uh, that's H-U-I-H-U-I-I-T-S, Conrad, C-O-N-R-A-D. Uh, or you can check out my company, First Family Mortgage. Uh, we're originating loans here in Alabama and Tennessee and, I don't know, a dozen other states. But you can check it out at 1FMC, like firstfamilymortgagecompany.com. Yeah, and, and thanks for letting me meet that $1,000, Conrad. I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> Happy to, and I'm going to give you a great interest rate, too, man. <laughs> Thank you. And I hope I, I'll play everybody was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one. Woo! Woo!